स्वामी निखिलानंद इज अ डिसाइपल ऑफ जगत गुरु श्री कृपालुजी महाराज ही रिजाइड्स एट राधा माधव धाम इन ऑस्टन टेक्सस व्हिच इज द यूएस आश्रम ऑफ जगत गुरु कृपालु परिषद ही ट्रैवल्स अमेरिका प्रीचिंग द फिलॉसफी ऑफ सनातन धर्म एज थॉट बाय श्री कृपालुजी महाराज इन दिस सीरीज ऑफ लेक्चर्स स्वामी निखिलानंद एक्सप्लेन्स द थ्री पाथ्स टू गॉड कर्म ज्ञान एंड भक्ति He reveals the scriptural teachings behind each path and tells which path is the best one to follow. Today we're going to talk about really the most important part of everything because we're going to talk about the actual practice now. And as you learned when we talked about the path of gyan, knowledge without practice is not true knowledge. that theory everything you've learned has to be put into practice for you to actually get the benefit so the practice is what i'm going to describe today of course i'm talking about sadhana bhakti so to practice sadhana bhakti all you have to do is attach your mind to god very simple as i explained yesterday the reason we do sadhana bhakti is just to purify our heart when the heart is fully purified we receive god's divine grace and that makes us god realized so attaching the mind to god is what sadhana bhakti is all about that's why the scriptures say mana eva manushyanam karanam bandha mokshayo mind alone is the cause of bondage and liberation if we're attached in the world then our mind is the cause of bondage and if we're attached in god it's the cause of liberation mind alone decides which one it is so sadhana bhakti means attaching our mind to god gradually step by step so the first question is which form of god should we attach our mind to i talked to you yesterday about ananyata how it's important to only have our mind attached to god but just saying attached to god is not enough we need to decide which specific form we're going to worship now most people although they know that god is only one and he has many many forms but god is only one it's the same god appearing in all of those forms yet we worship many forms as well most people worship many forms but on the path of sadhana bhakti you have to ask yourself what form of god do i want to attain and then you worship that form of god very simple who do you want to meet who do you want to have darshan of that's who you should do bhakti to what about worshiping multiple forms of god well ask yourself the question why do people worship more than one form of god why almost always the answer will be because they have different worldly desires and they want different forms of god to fulfill those different desires or you could put it this way yani kani cha mitraani kartavyani shatani cha 
it's good to have more friends because if one friend lets you down, the other one might give you what you want. So if Hanumanji doesn't give me what I want, then maybe uh, Bholinath will. He's so easy to please, right? And if he doesn't, maybe Durgaji will. So mostly people, that's the main reason they worship multiple forms is because they have all of these worldly desires and they think they have the best chance of getting this desire fulfilled here, but this kind of desire fulfilled over here. So we try to cover all of our bases. And then certain other doubts creep in the mind as well, like, oh, if I don't pay respects to all the different forms of God, then even if I'm worshipping this form, then that form may oppose me or cause something bad to happen to me or get angry with me in some way. So let's think about both of these doubts. First of all, you know, I told you the very first condition of bhakti is not asking God for any worldly thing. So then that first reason goes out the window. We don't need to worship multiple forms of God to fulfill our multiple material wishes. When our goal is God-realization and we're going to attain one form of God, not multiple, you can only attain God in one form. So you have to choose. At one point, you have to choose. You say, God, I want you in this form. And then you meditate on that form. Now, what about changing forms or worshipping one form and not worshipping other forms? You see... As I said, we know all forms of God are one. So think about, let's say there's a wife who loves her husband and she keeps a picture of her husband where she can see it. And in another room she has another picture and in another room she has another picture. See, these are like different forms of God. It's the same person, but maybe in one picture he's wearing a suit and tie. Maybe in another picture he's wearing kurta pajama. Maybe in another picture, he's uh, just wearing, uh, you know, casual clothes around the house. But the wife knows it's the same person. It's not three different people or four different people. Similarly, different forms of God are not different individuals. They're one individual, one supreme God who appears in these various forms. So just like, uh, let's say... The wife spends, let's say she takes one picture down and puts another one up in its place of her husband, just a different picture of her husband. Do you think the husband would object? No, if she puts a picture of another man up, he would object. But a different picture of him, he has no objection. Similarly, what does Krishna mind if we choose to worship Shiva? What does Shiva mind if we choose to worship Durga? It doesn't matter to them. It makes no difference. Worship one form, worship all forms. It doesn't matter. So you have the ability, you have the permission to choose. So you have total freedom. There's no question of one form of God getting jealous of another form of God. We can put that out of our mind totally and just focus. Why am I doing bhakti? To attain God. So what form do I want to attain Him in? That's the form I should worship. And even if you have an Ishtadev, 
Maybe for generations your family has been worshipping God Shiva. And then you decide, no, I think I want to start worshipping Bhagwan Ram. Oh, but God Shiva might get angry. Again, the same wrong logic comes. It doesn't matter if for millions of years your family's been worshipping God Shiva. Same God Shiva is Bhagwan Ram. It makes no difference to him if you worship him in that form instead of this form. But we should choose one and at the same time give full respect to all other forms, knowing that all the other forms are also other forms of our Ishtadev whom we are worshipping. So it means when you go to the mandir or you go to a puja at someone's house, you give full respect to whatever murtis are there, whatever forms of God are represented. Heartfelt respect, knowing that these are all forms of your Ishtadev. So that's the topic of Ananyata. Now, as far as who to choose for who do we want to attain when we become God-realized, there are two forms, Ram and Krishna, that are, you can say, human-like in form. So as far as meditation goes, it's the most natural for us to meditate on someone with two arms, two legs, who has a face like ours. That's the most natural in terms of meditation. And then in terms of devotional material as well, Ram and Krishna produced the most Leelas. Other forms of God, they came, they did one or two things, accomplished a certain task like uh, nursing Bhagwan, killed Hiranyakashyap, then he went back. Vaman Avatar was, you know, just he accomplished a couple things, went back got uh, Swarg back for Indra, sent Bali to the Patal Lok. So what I mean to say is that other forms of God don't reveal much in the way of Leelas. But look at Ramayana. It's like an unlimited supply of Ram Leelas. So this is important for devotion as well, both in terms of volume, so that we don't you know, we, we like a change, we like variety. So we can find a lot of variety of Leelas to meditate on in the Ramayan, or in Sri Krishna's case, in the Bhagavatam, in the Mahabharat, in Brahma Vaivarat Puran, in some of the other Puranas. They revealed a lot of Leelas. Thousands of Leelas are recorded. There's even more than that, but you can say thousands or hundreds of thousands are recorded in our scriptures and by our saints. So that's a convenience we get. If we worship Ram or Krishna, then that convenience is there in terms of meditation. That the form is easy to imagine because it's like our form and there's a plethora of Leelas to choose from. Now, in terms of bhao, you'll remember that I told you there are five bhao that we can worship God with. Shant, Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, and Madhurya, each one being higher than the next. And each one, in the divine status, giving you a different place. So Madhurya bhao, I told you, 
gives you the highest divine status that any soul can reach and the highest bliss. So from that point of view, if you're worshipping almighty forms of God, almighty forms means anyone other than Ram or Krishna comes in the category of almighty God. And you see they all hold uh, multiple weapons. It shows their almightiness. Ram also holds a weapon, but it's just a bow and arrow. So he's like a mixed form. Some almightiness, but lovingness also. So Ram and Krishna or you can say loving form of God and all other forms come in the almighty category so worship to the almighty category any form of God that comes in that category is done with only Shant Bhav Shant Bhav is devotion to any almighty form of God thinking that he is the king or she's the queen and I'm the servant. I'm the subject, not servant. Servant is Dasibhav. So then those who worship Ram, they have a choice between Dasya, Sakya, and Vatsalya. Those three different ways of worshipping Ram are there. And those who worship Krishna then have the extra option of Madhuribhav, which actually gives a higher divine attainment. And also, if you were to compare the Sakhibhau of Ram to the Sakhibhau of Krishna, <coughs> that also differs. An example of a, a saint who worshipped Ram with Sakhibhau is Vibhishan. Now, compare the relationship between Vibhishan and Ram and Krishna and his Gualbal friends. There's a big difference, right? There's still a lot of formality between Vibhishan and Ram, even though they're Sakhas. So there's added sweetness in those relationships with Krishna because as that uh, Prem Tattva is revealed, the Almightiness drowns. And as the Almightiness holds its place, the Prem Tattva is restricted somewhat as in the case of Ram or completely as in the case of Vishnu, Shiva, Durga the almighty forms of God but it comes down to your choice none is better than another because they're all unlimited in terms of the amount of bliss that you'll get so you won't get less or more you're just attaining your God in a different way you want to be more formal with him that's Good, that's your choice. You want to be less formal, you want to have more freedom in your interaction with him, that's your choice. So those choices are there. But don't just think, oh, it's all the same. It's not all the same. God has different forms and gives different relationships in those different forms. So you really do have to decide. Now, for the remainder of my explanation of how to do bhakti, I'm going to focus on devotion to Radha and Krishna because you can worship them with the Madhuri Bhav, which gives right up to Bhavavesh Bhakti and Mahabhav Bhakti, the highest form of divine ras. But you can substitute, meaning the principles I'm teaching you would apply to devotion to any form of God. So, how to do sadhana bhakti in order to attach our mind to Krishna? 
There are two ways of practicing this sadhana. One is called karma yoga and one is called karma sannyas. Karma yoga means when you're busy in the world but your mind is attached to God all the time. And karma sannyas means when you renounce the world and only attach your mind to God, no other activity. Most teachers teach one or the other. They tell you either you should be a karma yogi or some others tell you no, you should be a karma sannyasi. But what I'm going to tell you to do is combine the two. You need to do both. You will be a karma yogi most of the time and a karma sannyasi some of the time. You could say if you had to categorize yourself, you would all be in the category of karma yoga because pure karma sannyas means renouncing worldly activity, renouncing uh, worldly ties. So karma yoga means you're involved in the world but you're still following the path to God. So you are in that category. You would all be in the category of karma yogis, not karma sannyasis. But you still have to become karma sannyasis every day. So I'm going to start today with karma sannyas and tomorrow we'll look at karma yoga. These are the two facets of how you practice. Both are equally important. So today we'll start with karma sannyas. When you do karma sannyas, you renounce everything. You renounce your family, your kids, your husband, your wife, your job, your desires, your attachments. You renounce everything. So how do you do that while you're living in the family life? Very easy. You go in your room and shut the door. <laughs> you don't have to change your clothes or shave your head or grow a beard. Just find a quiet place where you won't be disturbed. Now someone may say, what is the need of doing that? I can just remember God throughout the day. I don't have to take time out of my day to go in a quiet place and meditate on God. Understand it this way. In the beginning, our mind is like milk. And think of the world as water. So if you pour milk into the water, obviously the milk is spoiled. There's no way of regaining the original purity of the milk. So in the beginning, our mind is like that milk. If we think we're just going to go out in the world and just all day long keep our mind attached to God, no, it ends up the world and our mind mix and we end up forgetting God for most of the day. But if the same milk is turned to curd and then churned into butter, and you put that butter into the water, no danger. So in other words, we have to turn this from milk into butter. So how do you see what's the process? The milk has to be kept in a quiet, protected place then it will become curd, right? Then you churn it again and again and eventually it becomes butter. The butter comes out. So in the same way, we have to do karma sannyas in order to strengthen the attachment of our mind to God. You can say that's our training. 
The effort we put in when we're doing karma sannyas is what gives us the strength to remember God when we're doing karma yoga. If we just do karma yoga without taking that special time to do karma sannyas, we don't have the strength to do it successfully. We're not at that high of a level. So it's important to take some time every day where you become a sannyasi. You go in your room and close the door. Maybe it's your bedroom, maybe you have a separate puja room in your house. Whatever it may be, close the door so that the kids know, your spouse knows, you leave the phone outside, they know. If the door is open, then the temptation is still there. You know, oh dad, you know, oh mom, can you just help me with this thing? If the door is closed, they know. You know, you tell them, you don't knock on the, unless the house is burning down, I don't want to know about it. I'll be out in an hour or 45 minutes or half an hour, however much time you're taking. And that's your time to just meditate on God. So now you're going to sit. Brahma Sutra says, Asina Sambhavat that for meditation the best posture is sitting. When you've progressed a little further, then sure, you could say, no, I can meditate walking, standing, lying down, sure. But in the beginning, the best position for meditation that promotes focus is sitting. Achalatvam chapekya, Brahma Sutra says, sit like you're aware sit uh, kind of alertly, you can say. If you sit lazily, it promotes the nature of the mind to wander. So although in this path, in this form of meditation, there's no particular way you have to cross your legs. You can sit in a chair, doesn't matter. Just sit, you know, alertly. You don't have to hold your hands in a certain way. They don't have to be like this or like this or on your knees or or held in it. It doesn't matter. Not for this form of meditation. Sit comfortably but alertly and in a quiet place because just like a flame, if it's a small flame, the smallest little breeze can blow it out. Similarly, in the beginning when we're trying to meditate, the smallest little noise or distraction can spoil our meditation. So find a place where you won't be disturbed, sit comfortably and alertly. Now what time should you do this? Ved says, Na desha niyamastasmin na kala niyamastatha there is no restriction of time or place for this kind of meditation. Remember, I told you a word yesterday, Raganuga Bhakti, that worshipping Krishna according to the loving feelings of the Gwalbals, Madhya Shoda, or Gopis, that's called Raganuga Bhakti. The other way of doing Bhakti is Vaidhi Bhakti. Vaidhi Bhakti is done according to many, many rules. Like, what place do you have to sit? Although I told you, find a quiet place, I didn't tell you that it had to be a pure place, did I? It doesn't matter. 
What matters is that your mind can be attached to God. So you can do that anywhere. It makes no difference what place you're sitting in as long as you're undisturbed. The same thing with the time. In Vaidhi Bhakti, there are restrictions. Where you have to sit, what time of day you have to do it, what mantra you have to say, do pranayam first, before that take a ritual bath. For this Raganuga Bhakti, you want to get up in the morning and meditate and then take your bath after? Fine. It makes no difference. Raganuga Bhakti doesn't have restrictions of these kind because the only thing that matters is, is your mind attached to God? That's it. Whereas Vaidhi Bhakti is done more for... Uh, people normally do Vaidhi Bhakti with some kind of worldly ambition and for it to be counted as a, uh, as a good action and they should be rewarded in their future. But Raganuga Bhakti is not done with any worldly desire, so there are no such rules to follow. It's being done only to purify the heart, which means the only thing that matters is, are you remembering God? It doesn't matter where you're sitting, or how you're sitting, or what time of day it is. doesn't matter. Whatever works for you, whatever is convenient. Sometimes doing it early in the morning before everybody else is up is the best time. You know, if you're the type of person who can get up at that time, when the rest of the world is sleeping, that's the best time to do your meditation. And also at that time, your mind hasn't clicked into high gear. You know, once you get started with your day, and that to-do list starts going in your mind, then it's hard to stop and go and sit down and, and do meditation. So... For some people, because of these reasons, it might be best to do this meditation first thing in the morning. And uh, But there's no rule. Whatever is convenient to you. And fixing a regular time to do it may also help you be regular and not miss. If you just say, I do it at this time every day, no matter what, then you'll be regular about it. If you kind of say... Oh, I do it whenever I get a chance. So one day I do it at 4 a.m., one day I do it at 8 a.m., one day I do it at 10 p.m. You might become unregular. You know, you might say, oh, it just didn't work out today. I didn't get the chance to do it. But karma sannyas has to be practiced every day. So you might find it best to fix a, a certain time that you do it every day. So we understand about the place, we understand about the time, we understand about how to sit. <clears throat> so now what are we going to do? It is called Rup Dhyan. You may say, why do you have to give it a name? All I have to do is think of God, right? Eh, you're right, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it Smaran, which means remembering God. Chintan, which means thinking of God. But Rup Dhyan is a nice descriptive way of saying it. Because Rup means form and Dhyan means meditating. So we're going to meditate on the form of God. Remember, the Jnani also meditates on God, but his meditation is very difficult because he's trying to meditate on formless God. So something that has no form, no qualities, no discernible characteristics, nothing that you could describe of any kind, no name, no leelas, 
That's formless God. That's very difficult to meditate on. But on the path of bhakti, we meditate on the personal form of God. Sakar Brahm. And this is extremely natural and easy. So what do you have to do? Close your eyes and picture Krishna in front of you. Very simple. Now some people might like to take the help of a picture or a murti. That's fine, you can do that. Maybe you want to look, you have a favorite picture of Radha Krishna. So you look at it and then you close your eyes and based on what you saw, you try to create a living form of Radha Krishna. Like, don't confine them to the photograph or, or the murti. You use that to get an idea for your meditation. Then you close your eyes and you should see real live Radha Krishna in front of you. Bring them out of the murti. Bring them out of the picture and see them there in front of you. If you have trouble, open your eyes and look at the picture again. Open your eyes and look at the murti again. Now, why is this so important, this Rup Dhyan? See, Veda Vyas is the knower of all the scriptures because he reproduced all the scriptures 5,000 years ago. He rewrote all the Vedas, Upanishads, Darshan Shastras. He wrote the Gita, the Mahabharata. He rewrote Valmiki Ramayan, 17 Puranas, the 18th, the Bhagavatam. So he knows all of the scriptures. Now he says, Alodya Sarvashastrani Vicharya Chapuna Puna Idamekam Sunishpannam Dheyo Narayano Hari. He says that I did manthan of all the scriptures. You know, when you churn something, the best thing rises to the top, right? The cream rises to the top. So he said, I churned all the scriptures over and over again to see what is the one most important thing. And he said, one thing rose to the top. Dhyayo Narayano Hari. Dhyayaha. In other words, Dhyan. Rup Dhyan is the most important thing. Why? Because this mind never stops. Nahikaschit Charnamapi Jatutishthatya Karma Krit Gita. Our mind never stops for a minute. We're always thinking of something. And we don't think in words, we think in pictures. So wherever our mind is, that's where it's attached. It means if we're not doing Rup Dhyan of Bhagwan, our mind is not attached to him. If we're not doing Rup Dhyan of Bhagwan, our mind is in the world definitely. There is no in-between place where someone could say, my mind is not thinking of the world, nor is it thinking of God. <laughs> then your mind, you would have to catch it. That's like catching the wind. You can't. The mind doesn't stand still even for a second. So if we're not thinking of God, we are thinking of the world, definitely. So thinking of God means doing Rup Dhyan, right? You can't just think of God. You have to think of a specific form of God. Then you're thinking of God. 
So you visualize Krishna in front of you, taking the help of a picture or a murti. Now someone may say, you know, this would be a whole lot easier if some saint would just show me what Krishna looks like, meaning give me a vision of Krishna. People say, well, saints, they've attained Krishna. It means Krishna will do whatever the saint wants. So Guruji, uh, why don't you show me Krishna one time? Just one time, then see how I do Rup Dhyan. When I haven't seen him, how can I do Rup Dhyan? So, you know what this is like? Because actually seeing Krishna, that's Siddhi. Siddhi means that's the end, that's the goal. (laughs) So what we're saying is, give me Siddhi before I do Sadhana. Sadhana is Rup Dhyan. So we're saying, I want to see Krishna first, then I'll do Rup Dhyan. Meaning, I'll plant the mango tree later, first give me the fruit. Give me my diploma first, then I'll enroll in your school. So it doesn't work that way in the world, why would it work that way in the spiritual world? So it doesn't. Now let's say some Guruji said, because a saint could, why not? But it wouldn't benefit us. Remember I mentioned when I was talking about avatar rahasya, when I explained about Krishna's dissension on this earth, Sri Krishna says in the Gita, avajananti mamurha manushim tanumashritam He says, the people of this world don't recognize me even if they see me. Also from Gita. He says, ordinary souls who are under Maya, they are bound by the three gunas of Maya. So even their senses are made of those three gunas, sattvarajtam. Their mind is made of those three gunas, sattvarajtam. So everything they see, it's like if you look at a white wall, but you have uh, green colored sunglasses on. Then the green colored, then the white wall will look green to you and you'll swear it's green, even though it's white. Similarly, even if we see divine Krishna standing in front of us, we won't recognize his divinity because we only have material sight. So even though he's divine, we see him as material. Satam Chiti Bhujam Shasta Swapitro Shishu Mrityur Bhoja Pater Virad Vidusham Tatvam Param Yoginam Vrishninam Paradevateti Vidito Rangangata Sagraja Bhagavatam. 
This is, this is a description of when Sri Krishna went to that Dhanush Yagya in Mathura at Kansa's invitation. So as he was there in the Colosseum and everybody, thousands of people were there and they saw him, everybody saw him differently. Those wrestlers, they didn't see him as a little boy. They saw him as a steel-bodied wrestler. These were wrestlers who could bend big steel bars with their hand, but for them Krishna's one finger was harder than steel. They couldn't even bend a finger on his body. So that's how they saw him. Some of the ladies who were there, they saw him as, oh, what a handsome boy. He's like, he's more beautiful than Kamadev himself. His friends and Nanda Baba had accompanied him there to Mathura. So the Gwalbals were there. They were seeing, oh, this is just our Kanha, our Kanaya. See, the, same, the wrestlers are seeing him and they fear him. And the Gwalbals are just saying, oh, this is the same guy we grew up with. Nanda Baba is saying, oh, this is my son. There were some uh, wicked kings who were there. They saw Krishna with fear that, oh, he looks like a great ruler and he's going to put us in our place and uh, control us. Kans Mrityur Bhojapatehi. Kans saw him as death personified. There were Rakshasas there. They saw him all differently. One Rakshas saw him with four heads. One Rakshas saw him with eight. One saw him with twelve. They couldn't agree. No, no, no. He has eight heads. Can't you see? No, no, no. He has sixteen. He's so scary. The saints, the Bhakta saints who were there, they saw him as Krishna, Supreme God. The yogis who were there, they said, what? What are you talking about? I don't see any little boy. All they saw was divine light. So everyone saw him according to his spiritual status. Such is the special quality of God's divine body. That doesn't happen with material bodies. If you stand someone up here in front of us, we may, you know, some of us may say, oh yes, this person is very handsome. Someone else may feel, no, he's very common looking. Someone else might find a flaw and say, no, 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 I think he's ugly. So you could have these three differences, handsome, normal, or ugly, but you won't have people seeing him with two or four heads, or just light, or all these differences. So in God's divine body, this happens. Jati Rahi Bhavana Jaisi Prabhu Murati Dekhi Tinataisi The same exact thing happened when Ram went to the Dhanush Yagya at King Janak's palace. Everyone saw him according to their own spiritual status. So such is the case with God's divine body. Tamekam Govindam Satchidananda Vigraham Krishna Upanishad says that his body is made of Satchit Anand. So what are you going to see with your Satvarajitam Vale eyes? You can't see him. Chidananda Maya Deha Tumhari Bigat Bikar Jan Adhikari Hamlog Adhikari Nahi hai. 
we're not qualified to see his divine form. So even if Guruji showed us his divine form, it wouldn't help us. We're better off hearing the description in the scriptures and saints that, oh, Krishna's divine beauty is so great. Then we form a desire to see him. If Guruji showed us right now, then what would happen? Ha ha, dekhliya, no big deal. Why should I practice devotion for my whole life to see him? I already saw him. I didn't feel any bliss. What is it in the scriptures? There's all descriptions of King Janak saw him and he renounced his bliss of formless God, let alone the happiness of this world. So people think, well, I've never even experienced the bliss of formless God. All I've experienced is, you know, the limited happiness of this world. Surely my heart would also be attracted to him. Nope, we're not qualified. King Janak was qualified. So if we saw him, that would be the end of our devotion right there. We would say, whatever is written by the saints and in the scriptures, it must have been an exaggeration. Why? All the saints in scriptures are saying, that's fine, but I've seen with my own eyes. Just like if uh, you and... You invited somebody here to hear me talk and I just sat up here tonight and and started talking random nonsense. So you all came tonight, I'm here and uh, I'm going to say something, don't know what I'm going to say and I just talked like that for the whole time. That person would walk out after three minutes and say, uh, you told me this Swami Nikhilanan made sense and he was telling uh, something good. Maybe you weren't here tonight. You know, you came late. You met your friend on the way. He came first. He listened to my nonsense for three minutes and then he left. And you were coming and you see him leaving. He said, where are you going? You're not listening to the speech? (laughs) He'll say, you can have it. I've heard all I need to hear. You can explain all you want to him. Oh, no, no, he said this, and he explained that, and he explained that. He says, hey, you're telling me how great it is I've seen with my own eyes. Kuchneya. So that would be our reaction, but only because we're not qualified. If we saw Bhagwan Shri Krishna, Bhagwan Shri Ram, we would literally think it's no big deal. In fact, if we saw one of their leelas, our situation might even be worse. Karmanyani hasya bhavo bhavasyate durga shrayo thari bhayat palayanam kalat mano yat pramadayuta shraya swatman rate khidyati dhir vidamiha. Bhagavatam. Brahmaji is saying, Oh Krishna, no one can understand your leelas. Even the most highly intellectual person of greatest intellect, Kidyati Dhir, his mind fails to understand even the simplest of one of your leelas. You are the Lord of the God of Death. He gave some examples. You are the Lord of the God of Death but you ran away from a little rakshas, Jarasan. You ran all the way from Mathura, you and your Bade Bhaiya Balram. And you kept running until you got to the coast of Gujarat. 
you didn't even look back to see if he was chasing you. Kitne darpok. Yeah, who he left the battlefield and ran all the way and created instead of going back to Mathura, he created a whole new city there in Dwarika on an island, a fortress. Who could understand that? Why would Supreme God, the Lord of the God of Death, run from anyone? Krishna at least ran from a Rakshas. Listen to Bhagwan Ram. Ghana, this is his words. Ghana Ghamanda Nabhagarajat Ghora Priyahin Darapat Manamora. Ye Bhagwan Ram hai. He's afraid of thunder. He says, without my Sita here, these, this thunder is very scary to me. If if we saw this Leela happening, see, there's a difference between hearing it described from a distance when we can know Ram is Supreme God and he's doing this type of Leela to attract our heart. Because actually, I like that Leela. I like thinking that Ram would be afraid of the thunder without Sita. That's very sweet to think about. But had we seen it, it would have been a different story. Immediately we would have applied our intellect because he would have really looked scared. We would have said, how can he be supreme God? How can he be afraid of thunder? It doesn't make sense. Ram dekhi suni charita tumhare jadamohahi budhahohi sukhare so there's no sense asking any saint to show us Ram or Krishna or their Leelas. We're not qualified and it won't help us. What we need to do is sadhana. And sadhana means rup dhyan. So, we're sitting in a quiet place where no one will disturb us. We're sitting alertly at whatever time is convenient for us. We have perhaps a picture or a murti to help us with our uh, thinking, with our meditation. But then another doubt comes in somebody's mind. See, we have to clear these doubts first. That my mind is material, so with my material mind, won't my meditation also be material? And how could a material meditation give divine results? Yato vacho nivartante aprapya manasasaha taitri upanishad. Your mind can't reach God. God is divine. Rama swarupa tumhara vachana agochara buddhi para avigata akatha apara neti neti nitanigamavada. Ram's form, Rama Swarupa, his form is beyond our mind. So it means whatever form we imagine in our mind, that's not Krishna's actual form. So are we meditating on Krishna or aren't we? If we can't imagine his divine form, because we can't. Until we get a divine mind, we cannot visualize or imagine Krishna's divine form. It's impossible. Then what is the value of such meditation? The value is that he knows our intention. See, let's say a five-year-old boy gets up here and gives a speech. 
he may get an award for it. Because Why? Because it's a five-year-old boy. He gave a 20-minute speech on bhakti. Everyone will be so impressed. Oh, why? Because he's five years old. If there's a, a scholar of Sanskrit scriptures sitting there, he may find so many things wrong with what that five-year-old said in his speech. With his pronunciation, with the logic, with this, with that. That's... That doesn't matter though. Because he's five years old, it's a great thing he did. Similarly, God knows our limitations. We have a material mind. How can he expect us to have a divine meditation? He knows we can't imagine his actual divine form. Therefore, just like giving that five-year-old an award for doing something great for his age... Similarly, God awards us His grace for our effort. That's it. He knows we're trying to think of His form and that's all that matters. He also, He doesn't make us imagine any particular specific rigid form. Like, let's say you have a picture of Krishna and you think, okay, this is the actual way Krishna looks. Then you think, but I don't really like that color of Pitambar. I wish it was a lighter shade. Oh, no, no, I can't. It has to be exactly like that. It's not like that. You can imagine any kind of pitambar. You can dress them in a suit or tie if you want. Good. Total freedom. It doesn't... In fact, that might be easier for you. Let me give you an example. I was out in Los Angeles recently. And before a program, I was talking with some of the people and we were talking about surfing. So once I started the program and I explained meditation to them and I was telling them, while we do the kirtan, you should be meditating on the form of Krishna. So then while I was doing the chanting, I kept thinking of surfing. I wasn't thinking of Krishna, I was thinking of surfing. So what I did is I just put Krishna on the surfboard. And that was one of the easiest meditations I ever did, honestly. It was so easy. So there is no restriction on uh, that you have to imagine him dressed in a certain way, doing a certain thing. Oh, if the Leela isn't written in the Bhagavatam, I can't imagine it. There's no restriction. So you can imagine him fair-complexioned if you want. If you don't want Krishna to be dark, think of him as fair. That's fine. His other form is Radha. She's fair. So why couldn't Krishna be fair? In other words, this type of meditation is the easiest. Because as long as your intention is to think of Krishna, any form goes. Maybe you're not a visual person. So you have trouble imagining any kind of form. Use your other senses. Use your sense of smell. Just feel Krishna's presence, even if you can't see him, but maybe smell the fragrance of that flower mala he wears, the bun mala. Or maybe he's wearing some uh, chandan paste on his forehead. Maybe you can smell that. Or the oils in his hair, those nice fragrances. Or use your ears. Maybe you can hear the jingling of his kinkini or his anklet or his bangles when he walks. Or you could hear the sound of his flute. Or maybe he's saying something to you. Use your sense of touch. Maybe he puts his hand on your shoulder so you can feel that. In other words, use all of your senses. And use those four bhao I explained to you as well. 
So you shouldn't just be seeing Krishna there, but you should be seeing him as yours. He's my Swami, or he's my Sakha, or he's my Putra, or he's my Priyatam. It's up to you. But that relationship should be there. So you sit, you close your eyes, maybe you're taking the help of the picture or the Murti, you try to form an image. Whatever success you have forming that visual image in your mind is good enough. Don't think that Krishna is gracing you based on the quality of what you're imagining. Oh, I'm not very artistic. I can't imagine a nice form of Krishna. It makes no difference. Your effort to think of him is what will result in you receiving his grace and that purifies your heart. The effort of thinking of him causes your mind to get attached to him. It it just doesn't matter how successful you are in imagining his form. What matters is that you're trying. That's what matters. You see, Krishna is omnipresent. So it means, you see, just like he's present in the murti, He's not confined to the Murti, he's everywhere else as well. But that's why Murti Puja works, because if you worship a Murti, believing that God is in that Murti, is it your imagination? No, it's not. He is omnipresent. He's not only in the Murti, he's everywhere else as well, but he is in the Murti, definitely. So if you do Seva to a Murti, or if you worship a murti with full faith that this is God, God will appear before you out of that murti. There are so many examples, even of young children like Namdev, who had Krishna appear before him out of the murti because he just believed this is God. So is that an imagination? No, because God is everywhere. So if you form an image of Krishna, actually what you're doing is you're creating another murti. You might be surprised to know that in the Bhagavatam there are eight different materials described that a murti can be made of. So different descriptions like different metals or stones and different combinations. But one of those eight is manomai murti. Manomai, meaning you just think of his form in your mind, that's a murti. So he's omnipresent in that murti as well. So if, what it means is you have to imbue divine feelings, just like when you see the murti, however much faith you have, with full faith you should try to think, this is real Hanumanji standing here, not, not a piece of stone, real Hanumanji is here. So in your meditation as well, you should be thinking, this is Krishna. It doesn't matter if... See, people worship a round piece of stone, Shaligram. Just a round piece of stone. This is Krishna. That's fine. So even if your meditation is like a round piece of stone, <laughs> that's, the, that's the best you can imagine. It doesn't matter as long as your faith is there, your feeling is there, that this is real Krishna. And you also have the freedom to keep changing. You want to think of young Krishna? Think of young Krishna. Think of older Krishna. Keep changing. Keep changing his Sringar. You put one mala on him, well, you got bored of that. Okay, take that one off, put a different, put a diamond necklace on him. Better than Kohinoor diamond. 
The best diamond you can imagine. See, not even any expense. If you want to put a, a diamond necklace on a physical murti, then you better have the money to do it. And if you get bored of that one, you probably don't have the money to get a new one. But on your manomai murti, you can keep changing his shringar every moment if you want. So there's no way to get bored. You can do all the seva, you can wash him, bathe him, offer him food, wake him up, put him to bed, do any leela with him, serve him in any way. See, God has naam, roop, leela, guna, dham, jan. These six things are all one. Like they all exist in each other or they're all different forms of God. So his roop, we already talked about doing roop dhyan. His name, his name is also another form of him actually. His gunas means his virtues, what is his personality like. His leelas, his dham means his divine abode. And his saints, the ones who live in his divine abode, like the gopis and gualvals, they're all one with Krishna. So if you meditate on any of them, you're meditating on Krishna. See, what I'm showing you is that you have a lot of freedom and a lot of choices and no excuse for ever saying, I'm bored. If you're bored thinking of Krishna in one form, then think of him in another form. Think of this Leela, think of a Gwalbal Leela, think of a Mother Yashoda Leela, think of a Gopi Radha Leela, think of uh, make up your own Leela, have Krishna here in New York with you. Sure, why not? Whatever is e- that's the thing, it should be easy and natural for you. Whatever is natural. As long as you're thinking of Him, that's all that matters. In fact, if your mind goes out, because the sadhana is about, you know, our mind is normally on worldly things. So we have to detach it from that and then attach it to Krishna by doing this rup dhyan. Then what will happen is your mind will go back to the world. Because that's what it's used to, that's its habit. And you're more attached there, so that attachment keeps pulling you back. We haven't built up an attachment to Krishna yet. That will come the more we practice. But if the mind keeps going back to the world, to a person or a place or a thing, do the same thing I did when I described about the surfing. See, I didn't fight it. I didn't say, oh, I'm trying to think of Krishna, but I keep thinking of surfing. I just put Krishna in the surfing. That's it. So if you're trying to do this Rup Dhyan or Leela Chintan and your wife's face comes in your mind, don't, don't keep trying to, to fight against that. See Krishna inside your wife or see Krishna inside your husband. Very simple. He is in them as well. So if their, mind, if their face comes in your mind when you're trying to think of Krishna, keep it there. Just see Krishna inside them. That's it. So, it's the most natural form of meditation. The easiest, most natural, but it still takes determination. You have to do it every day, and you have to be willing to, like I said, keep doing it even if you feel that you're not having success. Meaning, you're unable to form an image, or you're unable to think of any lila. 
your mind keeps going back to the world. We don't learn anything instantly. Think of how many times we fell just trying to learn to stand or walk. We fell, we hurt ourselves, we cried, but we never thought of giving up. We just thought this is the price of learning to walk. <laughs> I have to do it. So in the beginning, everything is a little difficult. So this will be difficult in this way, not that it's a difficult technique, but difficult in this way that your mind will keep going back to the world. And this is only because we haven't gotten it very much attached to Krishna yet, but it will become attached to Krishna the more we practice this. So we have to be willing to just keep trying, keep trying. No, no question of giving up. Just like no question, oh, I fell. This is the thousandth time I fell. Forget it. I don't want to walk anyway. No kid does that. <laughs> they all learn to walk. So we just have to keep going until we start to experience some success. So tomorrow I'm going to describe for you what are the signs that you're making progress if you keep practicing this because you need to know that too it's not a case of uh, oh whatever you're doing now you'll get the result after you die some people teach that just do the sadhana I'm teaching and after you die you'll get the results no whatever spiritual progress you've earned in your life and experienced in your life exactly that you'll get after you die so if you haven't experienced it before death you're not going to get it after death so I'm going to tell you, what are you going to experience? What are the signs of progress if you keep practicing this Rup Dhyan Sadhana, this Karma Sanyas? If you practice it, what will happen? And then how will you incorporate this into the rest of your day in the form of Karma Yoga? That is equally important and that is what I will cover with the last speech tomorrow.